Hello, and welcome to the Legal Edition. I'm your host, Attorney Mary Kay Alloyan. Our show topic today, Unmasking the First Amendment, Litigating Freedom of Information and the Secret Office of Legal Counsel Opinions. Our guest is Attorney Stephanie Krent. She is an attorney at the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University, an organization dedicated to freedom of speech and the press in the digital age. She and her team are working to bring transparency to OLC opinions that previously remained secret from the public. She is a graduate of Barnard College and Yale Law School. Let's welcome attorney Stephanie Krent. Welcome attorney Krent. Thank you so much, Mary Kay. It's great to be here. Now, you have been working um, pretty much exclusively, I believe, on the um, litigation with regards to the Office of Legal Counsel. Can you please tell us a little bit about what you've been doing and, and exactly what is the Office of Legal Counsel? Absolutely. So I've been working with colleagues um, at the Knight First Amendment Institute, where I work on two cases involving um, the Freedom of Information Act and records produced by the Office of Legal Counsel. Um, so just to back up and talk about what the Office of Legal Counsel is, um, sure. it's an office within the Department of Justice, sometimes referred to as OLC. Um, and so it's staffed by Department of Justice attorneys, and these attorneys within OLC answer some of the most important legal questions of our time. So they write opinions responding to requests made by other executive agencies about what the law is and what agencies' obligations are under the law. Um, and so what they're doing is really opining on, you know, very important legal issues um, that affect all of us, you know, not just because they affect governance, but because some of the opinions touch on questions of surveillance and public benefits. Uh, but the unfortunate thing is that many of those opinions are not public. Um, so OLC does publish some opinions each year, but that's by no means comprehensive. And so we simply don't know all of the OLC's decision-making, what it says the law is, and therefore how agencies are responding and, and acting in accordance with those requirements. And why are those opinions secret? Well, that's a great question, Mary Kay, and it's one that we at the Knight Institute have been thinking about a lot. Uh, you know, the government will argue uh, that these opinions are pieces of legal advice, um, but in fact, they're not legal advice. They're really legal opinions because traditionally, OLC opinions are binding on executive branch agencies, so agencies aren't free to simply disregard them. Um, one formal OLC attorney actually called the OLC the Supreme Court of the executive branch. So that kind of gives you a sense of the magnitude of their role within the executive branch and the influence that they have over the executive branch. And we hear about it every day. I mean, we heard about it in the Mueller report. You know, they couldn't uh, prosecute a sitting president because of an OLC opinion. Give us a little history on, on that. How far do these opinions go back? Well, these opinions span decades. I mean, the OLC has been drafting opinions since at least the 1940s. Um, and over time, the role of the office has shifted. But in 2010, the OLC actually published a best practices memo explaining its role. Um, and what it says is that the OLC's mission is to provide controlling legal advice to executive branch agencies. So as you've said, they've weighed in on questions you know, about whether or not sitting presidents can be indicted. Very famously, they weighed in on whether or not um, it was okay to torture combatants, I'm sorry, suspected combatants in the wake of 9-11. 
They've also weighed in on questions about surveillance and targeted killings. Um, so throughout the decades, they've played a really huge role in defining the power of the executive branch, um, especially with respect to the separation of powers and the executive branch's relationship with Congress. We know that, for, ex for example, Robert Mueller, he didn't dare challenge the OLC opinion. He believed it was set in stone and um, would not be, could not be challenged. Um, and that, and that, has, that view has pervaded pretty much throughout our government, especially this administration. Uh, so if you could a little bit explain about the secret process, these aren't government secrets, are they? These secret opinions? I mean, there's nothing that's classified in them, is there? So some OLC opinions may be classified, but many are not. Um, many OLC opinions deal with questions about, you know, conflicts of interest of people who work in the government, as I mentioned before, of questions, questions of public benefits, information sharing across the government. Um, so those issues really aren't classified at all. The way they are written um, is very similar to the way a case might proceed in a federal court um, or through an arbitration. So an agency will submit a question to OLC. OLC only opines by writing a formal written opinion if it believes that there's really a concrete dispute that OLC can resolve. Um, so it's not just issuing advisory opinions. These are really opinions that resolve a legal issue that's very much active before the agency. Uh, in fact, there's an executive order that directs agencies when there's a dispute between them to submit that dispute to OLC. Um, and OLC will kind of be the final word to say which agency is correct and which is not. Okay. In order to draft these opinions, um, OLC attorneys seek submissions from the agencies that have made the request, um, kind of like legal briefs in a case. Uh, they'll also rely on sources of law. So obviously, typically we think of, you know, constitutional provisions or statutory provisions that might be relevant, but OLC also consults its own prior opinions because it believes that those opinions create a system of precedent. Um, so it views its past opinions as controlling the same way you'd view a past decision of a court as a controlling piece of precedent. Does Ed, anyone ever challenge this? I know Robert Mueller didn't. No, and that's uh, typically OLC opinions are binding, right? So executive branch agencies feel beholden to follow the OLC's legal advice because that is its role in the executive branch. You know, as the OLC's best practices memo says, its position is to provide controlling legal advice. Um, so it's seen as an entity that provides binding opinions um, and really sets out interpretations of law for other agencies to follow. Why is it so important that we know what these OLC opinions state? These opinions are on a wide array of topics that really get to the heart of the way our government interacts um, you know, with other branches of government and the way it interacts with us. Um, so for example, there was one opinion about, you know, mandatory urinalysis for government employees, another one about whether women were entitled to veterans benefits. So they have a very direct role on our lives, but we don't know what those opinions say. And I think what's worse is that OLC doesn't even have a comprehensive index of opinion titles. So not only do we not know the substance of these opinions, in many cases, we don't even know the topics on which OLC is opining. So it's, you know, it's an issue legally because of the Freedom of Information Act, which is, you know, what my work has focused on. But I think there's also a much broader problem when you think about democratic values, um, if the public doesn't know what the law is.
if the how do you abide by the law if you don't know what the law is it seems counterintuitive Right. It, it's very difficult uh, to understand the government's justification for taking a particular action if you don't have all of the information before you. So if you don't know there was an OLC opinion, you know, either telling the government to act a certain way or telling the government not to act in a certain way, uh, it's very difficult to know why the government is taking the actions it is taking and on what basis it's doing so. Right. And, and someone could uh, fall fall into a trap without even knowing that they're violating a law or rule or whatever. Um, Give us some examples of, if you have any people that have maybe potentially not known uh, what, what, you know, OLC opinion, you know, says and fall privy to it. Well, the OLC, typically its opinions aren't really addressing, you know, criminal law um, or federal law that a particular person could violate. It, it's more advice I'm sorry, it's more an opinion that really guides, say, a prosecutor's office who has a question about what the law is, or an executive agency who's wondering whether or not they can take a certain step. So whether or not they can use certain funding for a conference they'd like to host, um, whether or not they can surveil uh, United States citizens abroad within the meaning of the Constitution, how they can share information with other members of law enforcement, So these are are questions that have a huge impact. I think um, the OLC has played a significant role really in many legal controversies. So you you mentioned the Mueller report uh, and the prior OLC opinion that said that a sitting president could not be indicted. The OLC also drafted an opinion that related to the the whistleblower um, who submitted a report to Congress, not actually uh, with the content of the whistleblower report, but informing Congress that a whistleblower report had been made. And that sort of dance was in part because of an OLC opinion stating to the director of uh, the DNI that he did not have to submit a report to Congress and that the appropriate uh, person to report the the whistleblower's report to was actually within the Department of Justice itself. So it sounds like there can be a lot of uh, pitfalls for, um, you know, keeping this secret. And most people aren't aware of, you know, what can happen. Uh, talk, talk to us about some of the cases that you've litigated. So there are two major cases uh, that I've worked on uh, and that we at the Knight Institute have worked on with respect to these opinions. And um, they both revolve around the Freedom of Information Act, um, typically known as FOIA. Um, so FOIA is pretty well known for, I think, one of its provisions, which allows any member of the public, including lawyers um, or just interested citizens, to request records from government agencies. Uh, And governments can only withhold those records if the record kind of falls into one of the very explicit exemptions within the statute. But there's another provision of FOIA, and that provision is sometimes referred to as the reading room provision or the affirmative disclosure provision. Yeah, what's that? The name affirmative disclosure provision kind of tips it off, um, but this is the provision of FOIA that requires agencies to produce certain records and to publish them on a prospective basis. So in other words, agencies don't have to wait for a member of the public. Um, In fact, they cannot wait for a member of the public to make a request. They must publish these records, um, which include final opinions and statements of law and interpretation kind of as soon as they're finalized. Yeah. You know, for for lawyers like ourselves, 
when we're doing research, we want to know what the law is. And we go to an index, we go to all these, uh, these indices, and we look up the law and this keynotes, and we, we have an idea what's going on. It sounds like you're flying blind here with what you're trying to do because none of it's been, you know, provided to you. That's exactly right. So each year the OLC does publish a small number of of opinions, but it's by no means comprehensive. And, you know, imagine the position of a historian or a researcher who's reading an OLC opinion, sees a citation to a past OLC opinion, but that opinion is not public. Um, so there's a real dearth of information about how the OLC is creating this system of law that binds the executive branch. Uh, and that's what we're trying to combat through these Freedom of Information Act cases. So the yeah. first case, uh, the first case is called Campaign for Accountability v. Department of Justice, and that's a case under the Affirmative Disclosure Provision of FOIA. Um, it was filed in 2016 seeking the release of all formal written opinions of OLC on a prospective basis. Over the years, you know, as the litigation has continued, it's been narrowed. Right now, we're currently litigating the question of whether or not the OLC must proactively release its opinions that resolve interagency disputes. Um, so as I mentioned before, you know, OLC has a role in deciding disputes that arise between agencies, both when the agencies feel deadlocked initially and then kind of come to the OLC with a dispute, um, but also when one agency makes a request of the OLC and another agency kind of jumps in to say it has a different view of what the law should be. Um, so that's where that case is, and we're um, hoping to enter into briefing early next year. Well, these are very, very important cases because they affect so much. For example, um, I believe you're litigating one too against the CDC, uh, trying to get information. I think that was one of them um, that your organization is litigating. Can you just speak briefly on that? Sure. Um, so that's a case um, in which we filed a Freedom of Information Act request um, to learn about the CDC's employee speech policies. So essentially to try to figure out, you know, what CDC employees have been free to say about COVID-19 and what restrictions are on them if they have to seek approval um, before they speak and from whom. Uh, and so that's been a case that we've been litigating since early May. And as we all know, Do Dr. Fauci wasn't able to say a whole lot, I believe, although he's with another organization, but uh, the CDC is headed by, I believe, Dr. Red Redfield. That's right. Yeah. So what are some of the other um, issues that you feel is, is, is imperative to um, bring, uncover with these cases? What other issues do you think uh, the public should know about? Well, you know, uh, this may be going back to basics a little bit, but the Supreme Court has said over and over that the purpose of the Freedom of Information Act is to create an informed citizenry and to prevent secret law, which is really anathema to democracy. So when I think about these cases and I think about, you know, the government's reticence to make mm -hmm. certain records public, uh, I really wonder about who who those agencies think they're serving. I mean, the purpose of these laws is to make sure that those of us who are governed know what the government is doing and the decisions it's making. Um, when President Obama took office in 2009, he issued an executive order, basically instructing agencies to try to disclose as much as possible. Um, but in, in our experience, agencies still continue to withhold quite a bit of information um, when they were faced with Freedom of Information Act requests. 
Um, and with the OLC in particular, the government seems to be very protective of OLC opinions, very protective of OLC's ability to really selectively disclose. Um, so to disclose opinions that it believes are significant, to disclose opinions that might help the president's position on a certain issue by um, buttressing what he or she says with legal arguments, um, but to withhold all the rest. Um, so to withhold opinions that the public has requested and that the public, in my opinion, has a legal right to see. Um, so that's that's been a really troubling trend. So example with the CDC, potentially they're stifling the speech of the employees to tell people how to protect themselves during COVID. Isn't that pretty much? Uh, the reason why we the filed issues? the request is exactly because we wanted to know the answer to that question. And so to what extent was the government, you know, the agency itself, possibly the White House, to what extent were those political actors influencing what scientists felt free to say? Um, whether or not that extended to what scientists could say, you know, in their personal capacities, so not in their official acts as representatives of the CDC, but just as individuals with expertise. That was really the concern animating uh, that lawsuit, which is ongoing. And of course, this all chills speech. Anytime you uh, put uh, parameters on what can be said, uh, it's going to chill speech. People are not going to come forward for fear of reprisal. That's right. So do you see any difference in this, this present administration versus past administrations with regards to suppression of information um, coming forth? You know, with respect to these opinions by the Office of Legal Counsel in particular, uh, I would say that um, under both administrations, so the current one and the Obama administration, government attorneys have argued pretty strenuously against kind of comprehensive disclosure of OLC opinions. Uh, so there hasn't been a huge difference in terms of the government's position about whether or not uh, it must publish all of its opinions kind of on a prospective basis. Mm -hmm. Do you see that changing with any of your litigation? You know, I hope so. Uh, one of the cases that, that we haven't discussed yet is a case called Francis v. Department of Justice. Yeah, tell and us that's about a case that. So that's a case we filed uh, last August, so about a year and a half ago. Um, under the other provision of FOIA, basically allowing any member of the, the public to request records. Uh, so in that case, we requested all of the OLC's opinions that were published prior to 1994. Um, in that case, we've actually, since filing suit, had a very productive relationship with the government. Um, and through that case thus far, we've been able to obtain access to over, I think, 300 OLC opinions, primarily from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And we've also see, uh, received lists of opinion titles from several years. So that's given us a, a really important glimpse into the way that the office functioned and what it does. Um, so it's been really heartening to see the progress we've made in that case. And again, as this is so important because they're advising the president, they're advi advising agencies that make health law that make laws that affect the, the American public. So it, it's vital that attorneys like yourself and others have access to this information so uh, you know what the law is and you know how to stay within the confines of it or challenge it if it infringes upon, um, you know, other rights. Absolutely. I think it's, it's critical uh, that members of the public know how the government is acting, what parameters it's put on itself, um, and the reasons why it's making the decisions it's making. Um, you know, in particular with the torture memos, there was 
obviously a huge outcry when the public learned um, about what was going on in the Bush administration. And I think it was incredibly important that the public see the opinions that were drafted by the OLC in that case, approving the use of torture, um, because in many cases, the, the public did not agree that torture was lawful. Uh, and it's for that's the purpose of transparency, right? To make clear what the government is doing so that if the public disagrees, uh, the public can voice its concern uh, and can do so by voting as well. Right, and it's supposed to be representative government of the people. So keeping it secret from the people is counterintuitive to what a, a real democracy is supposed to be. Exactly, uh, and that's why we think that these cases are so important uh, and why we hope that we continue to learn new information about OLC opinions. Yeah. And of course, you're not asking for anything that's uh, confidential that would um, have secrets of the United States or anything that would make the country in a put the country in a bad light. You're asking for information that affects the American people. That's right. The government has options if it believes certain opinions are classified. Um, and those, I think, can be resolved on a a case-by-case -case basis. But what we're really seeking is a commitment by the government to be releasing these opinions. And you know, you and I have been talking about um, the legal reasons why the government must do that and why they should do that. But it's important to state, you know, I mentioned President Obama's executive order earlier, President Biden um, and his administration could decide to make these opinions more public. There's nothing preventing him from doing that, mm -hmm. um, from telling the OLC to go back through its archives, uh, to publish those opinions, uh, and to do so on a forward-looking basis as well. It seems, it seems clear to me, but again, you know, when you're fighting the bureaucracy of, of the wheels of government, uh, it can be a daunting task. And that's why what you do and your, your agency is so important. Um, so tell us some other, other, um, other issues that your group is litigating right now. Uh, sure. So, um, you know, we've taken a special interest in the OLC and transparency around Office of Legal Counsel opinions, but that's not all we do. Um, we're an organization that's dedicated to promoting the freedom of speech and the press in the digital age. So um, right now we're working on several cases around pre-publication review, which is a process by which, you know, past employees um, who work in certain intelligence agencies have to get kind of pre-cleared before they publish books or writings about their time in government. Um, we're also currently in court challenging speech restrictions on immigration judges um, who may want to speak up about, you know, certain actions that uh, the federal agency overseeing them, which is called the Executive Office for Immigration Review, um, to what that agency has done in recent years to, you know, decrease the independence of those immigration judges uh, and to change the way the immigration court system works. Um, so those are two of our ongoing cases. Um, we also have been litigating uh, a case against President Trump um, for blocking social media critics on Twitter. Um, that case actually has been up through the district court and the second circuit. And there is a petition for certiorari um, currently pending with the Supreme Court. So um, those cases are all very much active and things that my colleagues and I have been working on uh, at the Knight Institute. Those are fascinating topics. And, and the petition for certiorari, that's if the U.S. Supreme Court decides to take the case. It's pretty much saying, we'd like you to take a look at this, but it's at your discretion. That's right. So we don't know what the Supreme Court will do. Um, and we are waiting like everyone else to, to learn uh, what they're going to do with that case. 
Now, did your office get involved at all with the issues of, you know, the Don McGahn issue where he was counsel for the president and, uh, and he thwarted a subpoena? Did your office get involved with any, um, you know, uh, research with regards to that? Uh, not to my knowledge, no. Okay. Uh, what other issues um, are you currently litigating now that um, you would want the public to know, or even prospectively, what you would like the public to know? to be thinking about? Well, I think this next administration, as every administration change does, really provides um, the people coming into the government, um, the people coming into power to think about what they want their relationship to members of the public to be. Um, so, you know, we've learned about surveillance on, on American citizens, on members of the public. Um, we've learned about attempts to purchase data from data brokers, We've learned, you know, about agency reticence to release records under the Freedom of Information Act. So I would really urge members of the public um, to put a lot of scrutiny onto this incoming administration the way they should with every incoming administration, because putting pressure on these administrations is one of the best ways um, we can shed light on the important issues of, you know, treating members of the public with respect um, and making public their dealings with members of the public. Right and helping lawyers like you and I to discern what the law is and how we can protect the rights of those that uh, we are intended to protect. That's exactly right. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thank you, Mary Kay. I wanna thank our guest, attorney Stephanie Krent, for sharing her research and opinions on the OLC and the First Amendment. I also want to thank you, our viewers, for tuning in. For more information on today's topic and our guest, visit us online at thelegaledition.com. And remember, this information is for general educational purposes. It is not legal or professional advice. And now you can download our podcasts and subscribe online. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter.